Uh, if you have your Bible, we're now going to turn together to uh, Titus chapter 2. It's a very short reading. Uh, it's page 1199. <clears throat> and we're going to read uh, Titus 2. We're going to begin at verse 11. And we're just going to ask that the Lord might bless his reading as we read it together. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We pray that the Lord would add his blessing as we've read his, his truth. Amen. I'm sure that you will be aware of that, sort of that piece of behavioural uh, research that was done away back in the 60s where they, they took toddlers and they put them in a room and they set one marshmallow in front of them. And then they says, you can have, you can eat that marshmallow whenever you like, but if you wait for 15 minutes, we will give you another one. So you'll have two. Uh, and then they sort of researched the reactions to all of that. It's not unsurprising that the vast majority of those toddlers uh, believe that one marshmallow in the hand is always worth two in the future. But the research didn't end there. That research carried on, carried on into their teens for those kids and, and into adults. And what they found actually is that those people, those when they were originally toddlers and they watched them and researched them, but those people who were able to delay instant gratification in view of getting something more in the future, those people by and large were more self-assured, happier, more content than those people who couldn't resist the immediate gratification. So those people were less prone to peer pressure, they're less likely to, to uh, fall under the panic of stress uh, and so forth. But the reality is, I think, for a lot of us is that we all struggle with that. I mean, we all would rather have something in the immediate rather than putting off in the hope of getting something even better or, or something else into the future. That's why we eat fast food. That's why we take instant coffee. That's why we post packages 24 hours rather than just waiting and so forth. And that's why we get really irritated when we have to delay, I assume, coming into church today that there was a bit of a delay in the car park, for instance. And that really bugs the, the, the life out of all of us, having to wait for anything, that we're so accustomed to getting what we want when we want now that we really don't want to have to wait, uh, even in small things in life. Do you struggle with that? Does that something that sort of resonates with you in life so that, if you don't get instant results, when it comes to dieting, 
You want to put that off? Or studying, there's no point in, in this. Or what about making it slightly more spiritual? If you don't get instant results when you pray about something, do you just want to again put that off? Now, I want you to turn with me to that passage in Titus chapter 2, which in many ways is a bit of a launch pad today. If I was trying to see what the main point of what this passage is about, the sort of thrust that comes out of this passage, which I hope you're able to, to identify immediately, is that Christians, if you know Jesus and you're following Jesus, the basic tenor of this passage is saying is that you should be different from other people. You should live in a way that is distinct from other people. I mean, let's read verse 12. It says, when talking about the grace of God, it says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Now, the reality is, I'm sure as, even as you read that, is that we all struggle with that because we struggle to put off doing things, getting things when we want them because we would much rather get things here and now, right now, immediately. But the Christian is someone who is, should be able to live differently. If you like, the Christian is sort of living, my word today is this word perspective. Uh, we're thinking about grace works over the next number of weeks. In other words, there are certain characteristics that may not come naturally to us, but these are things that God, by his Spirit, is working in us so that the grace of God is working in us, producing characteristics in us that may or may not come naturally or easily to us. But the one that I'm thinking about today is perspective. Not being fixated with getting something immediately, getting what we want there and then, simply because it's easier, but rather taking the long-term view, taking the long game, as it were. Even heaven itself, that final uh, reward that God has in store for us, believing that God has much more in store for each of us than what we might just gain here and now. And particularly when you look at verse 13. I mean, look how verse 13 opens up, where it's getting this idea, while we're saying no to ungodliness, in other words, living differently, but where we live differently, the first three words, it says, while we wait. That's our characteristic for life as we journey through this life, that we are waiting we're waiting ultimately for the, the coming of Jesus Christ or, and, and that point at which we will go to be with him and be with him forever. But in the meantime, we wait. And the challenge from this passage is that if you know and love Jesus, if you're a Christian, is that you should be living differently from other people who don't know Jesus. And the reason that you are living differently is because you know Jesus. And that enables you to live differently. So that will mean inevitably putting off certain things, denying yourself certain things, not doing certain things, not getting certain things, and simply because you love Jesus. And that will only make sense. I mean, it can only possibly make sense, denying yourself anything, if what Jesus has promised you is so much more and so much better 
than anything that you're going to get in this life. Otherwise, there is no point denying yourself anything if what Jesus has promised isn't any better. But we believe that it is. So today I want to think about perspective. In other words, that heavenly outlook, trying to live in such a way that that's where our focus is, and because that's where our focus is, that we will behave differently in this life, and that other people should be able to see that we are living differently. And I'm going to use another Bible passage now. You could look at it if you like, but you don't need to. It's a bit of an extended illustration of this. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 13. I will explain the story very well, hopefully, so that you don't need to turn to it, but you're welcome to if you want. It's about King Saul. Uh, King Saul was initially chosen to be the king because he was a bit of a golden boy. Uh, He's described in 1 Samuel 10 as being a head taller than anybody else. It was simply, he was bigger than anybody else. He was better than anybody else. Even the prophet Samuel, when he describes Saul to other people, says there is no other person in the entire country quite like this boy. So this guy, things just fell into his lap. Life was good for him. In the, the way in which he became king was quite remarkable because literally one day he was out chasing donkeys, as you do, and he's out trying to catch the donkeys, and the next minute he's, he's prophesying, he's praising God, Samuel the prophet's there, and Samuel the prophet has anointed him to be the king. It's this amazing whirlwind of event, and no sooner has he been anointed king as he's in a problem. And the problem that he's facing has been caused by his son. That's always the way. Sorry, Connor. Um, (laughs) But the problem is that his son, Jonathan, had gone out to attack the Philistine army, which resulted in a massive retribution. And so he knew there was going to be bother. And what we learn in 1 Samuel chapter 13 is the size of the bother. So Saul mustered the armies of Israel together to meet them at Gilgal. But the Philistines, well, they numbered 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and bazillions of troop soldiers. And they were camped facing them. And the entire nation of Israel knew that this was real bother because the troops, the soldiers, were scared stiff. And they were vastly outnumbered. So the the average men and women of the nation of Israel ran and hid. They went into the mountains. If they could find a cave, they hid in a cave. They found an empty cistern. They hid in the empty cisterns. But all the time, Saul was there with his soldiers facing the enemy at Gilgal. Vastly outnumbered. His troops were scared. But the important thing, Saul had a secret weapon. And Saul's secret weapon was the prophet Samuel. Because Samuel had said a number of things to him in 1 Samuel 10. First of all, he said, I will meet you at Gilgal. So I'm coming to meet you at Gilgal. I'm going to come in seven days. I'm going to come in seven days. When I get there, I'm going to offer a sacrifice to God. And when I offer that sacrifice to God, then I will know what God wants us to do. And when I find out what God wants us to do, I am going to tell you 
what to do. So Saul was reassured in that. He, his secret weapon was going to come. And as we're going to look at this story, I'm going to say that this story then actually identifies three sort of areas that end up where we lose our perspective because we're focusing on the immediate and the troubles that we're in. And perhaps the first one is when we get stressed. And you can easily imagine that Saul was getting stressed in this moment. I've already explained the numbers of soldiers that were facing him. There were lots of chariots, but Saul believed that Samuel was coming, that Samuel was going to come and tell him what to do. So Saul waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. Samuel had said, I'll be there in seven days. Saul waits seven days, and at this point, I'm going to read 1 Samuel 13 and verse 8. It says, he waited for seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Now, who can blame him? He was told to wait for seven days. He waited seven days. His soldiers were beginning to get scared and they were deserting him. His blood pressure was rising. And you can see, I think, that stress is something that causes us to take our eyes off the future and we look at the immediate, and we look at the immediate problem. And it's situations like that that prompt us into sin, isn't it? Would you ever see yourself in that sort of situation? Can you resonate with that? On those rare occasions when life is easy and everything's straightforward, we can trust God, but when it's stressful, I'm sure you find it hard simply to trust and wait upon God. It's when we're stressed that we're facing difficulties. Or maybe closely allied to that, but maybe slightly different, it's just when we're impatient. In other words, I can't wait. I'm going to do this. It has to happen now. And again, you could say that that was Saul in this situation. He'd been told to wait seven days. Still wasn't seemingly happening, but I'll read on in the story, catching up again at verse 9. This is what Saul decided. He says, so bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. And just as he finished making the burnt offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. And then you get the first reaction from Samuel the prophet who had very clearly told him, that it wasn't Saul's job to do, but it was Samuel's job to do. And so Samuel then asks Saul now, what have you done? And Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now that the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I haven't yet sought the Lord's favour, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You know, there are times in our lives when stress is so much and we become so impatient that we begin to lose faith. And like Saul, we can only see the problem, the shortage of troops or the size of the enemy. We see the delay, 
This guy's not coming. I can't wait any longer. And so we forget what God had promised. And I think it's the same for us when we get impatient. We forget God's promises. You know, Hebrews 13, God has said, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Isaiah 43, I will walk you through the waters and the fierce trials. Philippians chapter 4, I will supply all your needs. But our selfish impatience at times means we cannot wait for God. We cannot take our eyes off the immediate problem and see what God is able to do. So just like Saul, we force ourselves to do this. But maybe another situation where we take our eyes off the long-term goal of what God is doing and we focus on the immediate is when we just are downright rebellious. In other words, I don't care, God, what you've said. This suits me and I'm going to do it. And that's the sort of sense where Saul was in these moments. And actually, when you read on to what actually happened at the end of it, because I'll not read the actual words here, but what, it, what happened here is that Samuel said to Saul, because you didn't wait for God, your kingship is over. There would have been a time when your descendants would have taken on this kingship role after you, but because you were disobedient, I'm going to get a new king and a new ruler because, Saul, you messed up. Now, you might think that's a bit harsh, but ultimately, even though Saul was trying to present himself and saying, I had no other option, I was, my back was up against the wall, I had to do this, Samuel sees through that and says, the real problem here, Saul, is that you were just downright disobedient and that you didn't wait for God. And I think that is, again, exactly the same for us. When we are stressed, when we are impatient, when we just want to do our own thing rather than listen to God, we take our eyes off the future and we focus on the immediate. And the question for us today, in thinking about this aspect of perspective, God working this in our lives, can we, in the words of Titus chapter 2, verse 13, can we wait? Can I believe that God will provide for me? Do I really believe that? Can I look forward to God's vindication, that God will put me right, even though everybody else is against me? Even though there are so many people that try and trash my reputation, even though there are so many other people that are downright nasty to me, and I have to go through this, can I wait and go through this? Can I really trust in God's good nature or God's good intentions towards me, even when it seems that everything is really messed up. So maybe my last word this morning, as I encourage you to wait, is to try and regain perspective. How can you regain perspective? Something came to me as I was walking past a pub on Monday. And I was down Hill Street in Belfast in the cathedral quarter there. And on one of the windows was a print of the motto of Belfast. Uh, Pro tanto quid retri bomus, I think it's pronounced. 
and if your Latin is no better than mine, uh, underneath that uh, was a handy translation, which was, what shall I give, having received so much? What shall I give in return for having already been given so much? Isn't that the gospel, when you think about it? What can I really give back to God in view of the fact that he has given me so much? So if I'm trying to keep perspective, I have to remind myself, God has given me already so much. And going back to verse 14, and I want you to look at this, if you've got Titus chapter 2 open in front of you, I want you to see here why Jesus Christ died. This is the gospel. Verse 14, Titus chapter 2, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. There you see it. Why Jesus died, he was to redeem a people for himself, a people who were wicked. You know, if you are a Christian today, you will recognize that. You will, you will have felt your sin. You would have felt the burden of that. And you know that that burden of sin separated you from God, kept you out of heaven. Not only are you against other people, but you are against God. And you, you, you struggled with this thought that there was nothing that you could ever do to put that right. And that was why you had to reach out to God, reach out to God in Jesus, because you understood that what Jesus did on the cross is that by his blood being shed, he was forgiving you your sin and removing that enmity between you and God and that sense of unworthiness. And what Jesus did on the cross was to put you right. And that's what what it is to become a Christian when you suddenly realize and you get Jesus did that for me in the words of Titus 2 14 that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us that's why Jesus died to do that for you but I want you to look very closely at that verse because that's not the only reason Jesus died because if you look closely at that verse you will also see that Jesus died to purify for himself a people who are his very own. In other words, Jesus also died to enable you to live for him, to give you the strength to live for him, to do that which does not come naturally. So when you naturally can't look beyond the immediate, you can't postpone instant gratification, but to have perspective and that you know that whatever you can say no to in this world is because what Jesus has offered is so much better and the temptations that we face are always to grab the immediate because it's in front of us and we feel we want it. Material possessions, instant pleasure, just even just to fit in with other people, to have friends, to be popular. All these things tug at our hearts. That's what we want. And yet Jesus, through his word, is reminding us that we can resist these things. But if we can't, if you can't see beyond your own nose, you're going to fail at life. And the gospel is teaching you to look to another world, to another world that is coming, 
a place that God has prepared for his own. So when you are struggling, think of heaven, think of the cross, remind yourself that you have been forgiven, that your sins are wiped away because you're trusting in Christ, you have got friendship with God, and the best that you have to remember is that the best is yet to come. Heaven is so much better. What God has prepared for his children is so much greater than anything that you will ever experience in this life. So please don't be tempted to stop short and only to look at the immediate, which is why I've been saying to try and get perspective, the long-term view. Do you remember those days years ago before mobile phones had decent cameras and even before the days of digital cameras and you had to rely on an old-style camera which had 12, 12, 24 or 36 photographs in it. You know, back in those days, young people will never be able to understand you didn't take 15 pictures of the same thing. You didn't take 15 pictures of your mate on a bad hair day. It just wasn't worth it. And I can remember being on a school trip and there was one fella on the first day and he was snapping all around him and there was nothing to see. And it wasn't until later on, till we actually got somewhere, that there was something to see. But what was his problem? He had no film left and he missed it all. And similarly, at my very last point, don't get to heaven and suddenly realize that you had spent all your life focusing on the here and the now, as if that was everything. Don't live now with the view that this is as good as it gets, because when you get to heaven, you'll be embarrassed that you lived in that way. Keep your perspective and keep your view about what God has prepared for you in Jesus. And that's why you want to be a Christian, and that's why you want to trust in him. Let's pray. Father, grant us perspective, grant us vision that we will be able to see beyond the pulls of this life and what tugs at our hearts. Lord, genuinely we believe the only reason that it makes sense to deny ourselves anything to live differently from the people we rub shoulders with in our, in our work or even in our homes. The only reason that it makes sense to live differently is because what you have promised us is so much better. Lord, show us what is so much better and help us to trust you and we cling to you. Amen.